I didn't do anything. He told me to come up. That's not my fault. Morena Tefano, I'm already in trouble and I haven't even started. Um, yeah, I thought we were supposed to sing another song. Sorry. <laughs> but then I got the look. Well, I'm used to getting a look, so I usually act immediately when I get a look. Um, uh, for just before we get into this new series, um, if you, I know there's already been a bit of a spin on it this morning about the app. Um, for home group leaders or those of you part of a life group, on the app you'll be able to find all the information regarding uh, studies for this series and all our past series. You'll also find information on there about the Lenten um, journey that we're doing that Fakaronga and I have put together. So if you have any trouble getting the app and putting it on, let us know. Come and see me after the service. I'll help you get it all going and, and started. So anyway, let's get into this. Let me open us up in prayer. Father God... Um, we come before you this morning, um, as Ian has prayed, Lord, that we may just be focused on you, because it is all about you. It's not, not about the music that is sung or the preaching that is preached. It's about you, Lord. That is where we want to be, at your feet. And this morning we pray, Father, as we hear your word, that you guide us, you lead us, you convict us, strengthen us, uh, and yeah, it's Holy Spirit, uh, work your way among us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Fire and Smoke is the name of the new series. I had a different sermon, actually, <laughs> ready to go last week. And um, when you get sick and you've got a little bit of time at home, you start rethinking things. Uh, so I've rethought a little bit of what was going to be happening in this series. And one of the things I have planned for this series is I'm going to go through the book of Psalms and engage with how we, as people, can engage with God? How do we connect with him? How do we meet with him, in a sense? Um, and I'm using the story of Moses and his encounter with the burning bush. And so I thought this sermon, I was going to open up with Psalm 1, but actually I'm going to open up with just this story of Moses encountering God in this burning bush. And of course, the tagline of this whole series is basically, where are the burning bushes in your life? So Going to Exodus chapter 3, verse 1, um, says this. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro and his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and, led, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, I, you know me, I like to give kind of a background about what's going on here, what's happening. I'm not going to give too much of it because it will distract us to some degree, but... Uh, Moses didn't actually write the first five books. Let me make that really, really clear. Moses never wrote it because a written language, most probably around his time, didn't necessarily exist. They used pictographs, cuneiform, and really the proto-Sinaitic uh, uh, language didn't really come out to maybe about 100 or 200 years after the events of this exodus. Um, if you're in our office, you can see behind me, I've got a poster with, with the, the, uh, uh, the formation of language and letters over the, uh, over the history of, of humanity. And you can see how it kind of progresses from this cuneiform hieroglyphic stage to actually written words. The way they communicated with one another was through the spoken word, through storytelling. And so people have always kind of questioned, well, you know, there's different words for different things in the Bible, but they mean the same thing. 
that's because from different people's perspective, they meant different things. So the mountain of Horeb is the same as the mountain of Sinai, depending on who you talk to. Now, if you're Italian, you'd understand that completely. And many other cultures would understand that. For us who are today kind of in that digital age where everything has to be precise, we find it difficult sometimes to understand. And Jethro's name is actually spelt in different ways. In fact, there's one point his name is Rueb and it's completely different. And people say, why has he got different names? Well, because that's just the way the culture worked back then. So, sorry, a little bit of background there. So it is actually Sinai, Horeb. It's the same mountain that uh, Moses at some point in the near future will be climbing up on to get the Ten Commandments. So he's in that vicinity, and it's not necessarily what we call today the Sinai Peninsula. We call it the Sinai Peninsula because that's the name we've given it. But we're looking most probably closer to Saudi Arabia um, in that vicinity, in that area there. Now, there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it didn't burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see the strange sight why the bush doesn't burn up. So what bush are we talking about? Um, ancient rabbinic sources are convinced it was an almond tree. It looks like this in the desert there. Uh, almonds weren't bushes, they were trees. And uh, about a few years ago, uh, when we were in Israel, I asked what the significance was to a, a rabbi, a Messianic rabbi who was teaching us the book of Exodus when we were there. And he said, he, he showed me this picture. And he said, this is the menorah. And the menorah is shaped. You know, most people today don't realize the significance of the burning bush. It's shaped like the menorah. If you can kind of see loosely the, the view there. So for Jewish culture, this is a very important symbol. Richard was sharing with me just the importance of the burning bush for the Presbyterians, which if you want to know about, have a chat with him because it's a pretty cool story. So this uh, burning bush <coughs> was quite significant and it was a tree, it wasn't a bush. Now, when I was in Israel, the question I wanted to know was, how long did it take Moses to have to look at this bush to know it wasn't actually burning? And so this Rabbi Ariel, he, he turned to me and he said, well, first of all, it's not extraordinary that in a dry, hot climate that a bush would not be on fire. As he explained it, he would have seen the, the smoke. And his initial thought might have been, is it a bush? Is it a... Um, a person, is it something? So when he saw the bush that's on fire, the natural tendency is like, oh, okay, another bush on fire, move on. But obviously he stood there long enough to see that it wasn't actually burning up. Which is interesting. It's interesting because how many other burning bushes did he pass and ignore completely? And what was it about this one that he stopped to look at long enough to realize that it wasn't being consumed? Going on in Exodus, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, 
And Moses said, here I am. Now there's some clues here. It's almost like God didn't use a bolt of lightning. He used a subtle message to try and pull Moses' attention. And not until Moses, his curiosity peaked and started to go check it out, did God then call to him. I think part of the problem we have as Christians today is that we have these mega events, these lightning bolts, these big and wonderful, um, I, I, I don't know, manifestations of you know, the supernatural, the spiritual. We want big things to happen here and now. But we actually ignore the fact that God, for the most part, is very subtle in trying to get our attention. In 1 Kings, chapter 19, you've got Elijah, who's gone to look for God at the mountain, at the mountain of God, and he lived through the earthquake and the lightning and the storm, and it wasn't until when? The still small voice, and he realized it was God. How? It's fascinating here because I don't think Moses actually knows this is God. Because it's really interesting. When you read on from here, he's like going towards the bush. It's on fire. Someone calls out Moses, Moses. He's like, yeah, here I am. And then the next verse, it goes on. and said, do not come any closer, God. said, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. All of a sudden, it wasn't some sort of prank. It wasn't just some sort of peculiarity. It was God. And he reacted. And he reacted. Sometimes we just don't take God seriously enough, not until at least it gets serious. Moses had been in the desert for 40 years. 40 years is a long time for someone who was born into purpose, into power, into prestige, into a position where he could make change and where all the people around him most probably pointed out to him how much potential he had. The things that he could do to effectuate change. He had more power than most people in that kingdom to make change. And instead... He was cast out, banished, and he spent the next 40 years in the middle of the desert. Do you know what that does to someone's purpose? Can you imagine where his self-esteem might be? Can you imagine the monotony of his day, every day going out into the same wilderness, going out into the same desert, not the best scenery in the world? It's pretty monotonous. And it's not very colourful either. With the same sheep, the same goats, doing the same thing for the next 40 years. You know, you get to a certain age in life where you start questioning, well, I guess I missed my chance. God, yeah, I don't know where he is but we'll continue to do the same thing. And the question I want to challenge you with is, where are the burning bushes in your life? 
How many of them did God put out there that Moses may have walked right by? How many have been in your life that you have walked right by? The challenge of this whole series is going to be around these three points I'm going to share with you because, again, I'm Baptist. Three points of the way we work. The first one is this. Encountering God requires time and space. You have to learn to stop. You have to learn to give time for you to notice the subtlety of God. Stop looking for the thunderbolts, for the meteor showers, for the explosions, and start looking around for the subtle moving of God. Uh, Psalm 37 says this, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. In Lamentations it says this, The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It's a wonderful thing about the book of Psalms. It's David struggling and wrestling. It's the other writers who are struggling and wrestling in song form, expressing their frustration of waiting for God, wondering where he is, and then actually finding him in the moments when they least expect it. Moses might have thought his life was done. He might have thought that at 80 years of age, who's going to use me? Whatever purpose, uh, whatever potential he might have had 40 years beforehand, yeah, that's dried up just like the uh, surroundings around him. And a lot of that must probably have gone up in smoke just like this almond bush, but it's not burning up. God's not done with him. And God's not done with you. Don't follow the world's view on potential or the world's view on purpose. Let God dictate that for you. But the challenge I have is, are you giving him time to speak into your life? Are you giving him time to be able to actually reach you? Encountering God requires, requires time and space. But that's not the only part of the story. Understanding ourselves, that requires time and space. It's fascinating. From, from verse 11, the chapter 3, verse 11 in Exodus, Moses goes on this rant about how he's just not good enough. You know, his first question is, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israel? I'm nobody. And he's got a point, really. It's funny how God loves to use nobodies from nobody places. He is a nobody. There's only a handful of people that really know about him at this point in his life. Those that may have known him 40 years before, he's part of a long-lost memory. Who is he? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? I'm nobody. 
Well, you're somebody to me, Moses, says God. You are somebody to me. And then Moses goes on, no one are we talking about understanding ourselves that requires time or encountering God that requires time, but engaging with God requires time. And this is where Moses really struggles, right? So it's not just about who he is anymore. He's starting to question, well, who are you, God? And I think some of us are afraid sometimes to even ask God that question, right? Who are you? I, I, I've gone through my proverbial 40 years of wilderness. Who are you, God? Who are you? And God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers, and it's interesting how he calls them your fathers, not our father. Your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me, what is your name? Then what should I tell them? Who are you? This is not a question for them. It's a question for him. It's fascinating. I get this often when I'm in my office. I get people coming in and they'll ask me a question and it'll be a hypothetical question. But actually, I know it's actually coming from them. Because deep down, they're just not at a point that they can look at themselves and say, I own this question. Moses can't own this question. It's disrespectful, it's whatever, but he's having a hard time understanding, well, who are you? I've been alone for 40 years. When you could have called me when I had stronger legs and better knees, when my back didn't ache, and I snore like a chimney at night now, back when I didn't have any of that going on, why couldn't you use me then? Who are you to use me now? God's response is fascinating. We've turned it into a name. I'm not convinced it's his name. I think it's his being. I am who I am. I am. That's it. But then it falls back to what's really going on in Moses, and that is, why me? Why me? What if they don't believe me? I'm not eloquent. Please send someone else. <coughs> why me? And there are many of us in this room that use that as a really good excuse not to do what God has called them to do in their life. I'm not eloquent enough. I'm not good enough. That's all of a sudden we're really self-aware at that point, aren't we? We're very much self-aware of what we can't do. Let me tell you guys, at the age of 16, I dropped out of high school. You know, my uncles and all my family said that I would amount to nothing. And they were pretty right about that. Hey, I didn't have a career path ahead of me. I bumped into a girl that I ended up marrying, which was most probably the best thing that ever happened to me. And even then, I didn't know really what I was doing. It wasn't until I held my first child in my hand when I thought, oh, I better do something. I've been saying that ever since. 
I've used this excuse way too many times. How many times have you used that excuse? I'm not good enough. I'm not eloquent enough. I can't speak on a stage. I can't talk to people about my love for Jesus. I can't do this. I can't do that. How many of us are caught in that? A few of us, eh? It's good to be self-aware, don't get me wrong. But self-awareness is also understanding that you have a God that loves you for who you are, in the space that you are, in the time that you are. And he just kind of knows better, I think. Because, you know, in answering all of this for Moses, right, Moses wants a staff to help him, he wants his brother to help him, he wants this to do... You know, and then you get into the whole thing and you realise that Moses actually is running this whole ship on his own and he's doing pretty good about it. He has his stuff ups along the way like we all do. But he does a pretty good job of it. Psalm 73, which we'll go into deeper further down the line, says this, Still, when I tried to figure out, all I got was a splitting headache. David is getting frustrated with God. He goes, I don't know what you're doing. I don't understand what's going on. Why do you continue to use me? I'm a complete stuff up. I don't get it. I'm lost. You confuse me. And it's a great way of putting it. I'm trying to figure out what you're doing here and it's just giving me a splitting headache. Until I entered the sanctuary of God, then I saw the whole picture. Now, we think of just going into a sanctuary is really easy. You open a door, you walk in. But in Israel, you didn't just walk into the temple. You had to go through a whole process of beginning at the stage of repentance, of the beginning of the stage of being washed, of being cleansed, of the sacrifice, of going through the doors, seeing the priests and going in. This was a long and arduous process to just walk into the temple. But when he went through those spiritual exercises, as he took each step closer to that sanctuary, he realised, I see the whole picture now. It's not just self-awareness, it's God-awareness. And it changed him. And at this point in Psalm 73, everything changes. Just like at this point of Moses' life, everything changes. He wrestles with it, he fights with it, he pushes back on it, but then the aha moment comes and he runs with it. David's the same. He spent 16 verses of Psalm 73 trying to figure out and complaining and pushing back on God. And then he spent the next 17 verses understanding this God that he followed. So, simply put, the challenge that you've got this week is if you are wanting to encounter God, how and when are you going to find some time and space? And if you want to understand yourself, get a bit deeper of understanding, not just what's wrong about you, because we're all really, really good at that. But what is it about you that God loves? Let me let you in on a secret. He just loves you full stop. He loves you for who you are here and now. And engaging with God, understanding his mission, understanding what he wants from you, needs time and space. Sometimes we've got to get sick 
to find that time and space. Hey, it's sad that, hey. And the challenge throughout this whole series is just this. I want to challenge you to find time and space. Don't go to the gym. <laughs> Someone's like, okay. <laughs> Hang on a sec. No, 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 I don't mean it that way. Go to the gym. But don't use that as your time and space. Don't fill that time and space in doing something. <coughs> Seek God. Find time with him. It's not a command. I remember when we first got married, uh, we, we, went, uh, we went together, we were in two different countries and we were trying to do premarital counselling with a group of other people who were getting married and Monica would record it on tape, right? Because that's how old we are. Um, on tape and then she would mail it to me because again, that's how old we are. She would mail it to me and then I'd put it in my tape deck. That's because of how old I am. we put it in the tape deck and then I'd hit play and I'd listen. And one of the things that I always say, that I always thought Americans were so cheesy about, right? It's like, you need to have a date night. And I'm like, what? Do you have to schedule a date night? Let's just do it, man. What, what's the scheduling stuff? Oh, boy, I wish I took that advice. I'm horrible at it. It's the same with God, right? Our relationship with God needs to be scheduled. Because you, you're going to be like, like me with dating, and it's like, oh, three weeks will go by and I've completely forgotten if we don't schedule time together. Right? Because let me tell you, this life is short. It will end before you really want it to end. And the one thing that you'll hold dear to is, what am I going to be facing? Where am I going to be at? in my relationship with God. Take some time out this week. Think about where the burning bushes were in your life and what you could do next to find that time and space to let God subtly speak to you in the only way he can. Amen? Amen. Father God, ask the music team to come up. Um, Lord, as we head down this path of unpacking psalms and hearing from your people and they're encountering you, encountering themselves and engaging with you, Lord, how that may apply to our own lives, Lord. Forgive us, Father, when we uh, have put so many other things ahead of you and, and you know, gone for weeks at times not actually spending any time with just you, Lord. Forgive us, Father, that we've walked past many a burning bush without even stopping to even look, let alone find any curiosity and maybe you speaking to us through whatever it is. Help us, Father, to be more mindful of your presence in our lives. Be more mindful of your presence around us. Be more mindful of our relationship with you be more mindful of the time we should spend with you. And forgive us, Lord, for, the, for when we don't. Well, this world has many strings and it pulls us in all different directions and it's hard at times, Lord. 
Thank you that you are a forgiving God. Thank you that you are a loving God. Thank you that you love us for who we are, where we are, regardless of all the faults that we have amongst us, Lord, that we could count quite easily. And bless us, Lord, I pray, as we take this journey together in Jesus' name.